This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. Today we're going to talk elections. We got a big race coming up, a ton of good big races coming up uh, next Tuesday. And then we're going to talk to a couple of folks from the Door County Medical Center about the opening of the new clinic up in Sister Bay as they uh, move into their new digs. So with me today to talk elections is Deborah Fitzgerald, our editor here at the Peninsula Pulse, who has been knee deep, head deep, buried in election coverage for most of the last two months, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Actually, probably longer since January. I think that, yeah. that's, that's what it's been. So, Deb, uh, I'm going to make you talk about it some more. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. It's not over till it's over next Tuesday. So Yeah, we got a lot of contested races this spring in the local elections. And then we have, obviously, the big Supreme Court race that, uh, you know, you'd have to be buried six feet under to not hear about that. Sure. Why don't we start with the Supreme Court race, since that's the one where all the money's going. Right. I mean, and that's probably why everybody knows about it, because, you know, they're saying that it is the most expensive statewide race to set a record in terms of, you know, what has been raised. The Badger Project, which does a really good job, you know, covering all of these, the campaign finance when it comes to elections. Sure. But it has so far to date, Janet Protasewicz, who is the, well, it is a nonpartisan race, but she is backed by Democrats. And she has raised to date, according to the Badger Project's report, $13 million so far in 2023. And then Dan Kelly, who is the conservative candidate, has only raised $2.3 million. Hmm. So I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if Republicans are just not paying attention to this race as much as Democrats, but it seems like it seems like there, it, it should be a lot more even than yeah. it is. Well, I wonder, there's probably something to the idea of people get more excited and more energized behind changing something than maintaining the status quo. Sure. And in this case, for left-leaning voters and left-leaning donors, more importantly, the protosavits would represent, I think, that would flip the court for the first time in 15 years? It would shift the balance. I don't know how long it's been since that has happened, but it would shift the balance. It would shift the balance at a time when the Supreme Court is likely going to be deciding a case brought by Attorney General Josh Call challenging the abortion law after Roe v. Wade. So it will be flipped if Protozewicz does, in fact, get on the board. It would flip it for the first time, but I don't know how long. I, th I think it's about 15 years that it's been a conservative majority okay. on the Supreme Court. And so you have the abortion obviously is a big issue that's either energized people on the left or could potentially energize people on the right. But again, maybe there's just not as much interest in this because Democrats have been trying to fight to get control of that court for years. So they've kind of got some built up energy, maybe. Mm, right. That's a that's my thought. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it probably bears out, I mean, because it is really so uneven in terms of the campaign finances that are pouring into each one of the candidates. So I don't think that's being spent here at home. 
<laughs> you don't think the uh, town of Gibraltar chair race is is matching those numbers? No, I didn't check that before we said <laughs> here, but I should have, right? But we do have an exciting time in local elections. You know, for as far as the April elections go, they're never all that dynamic because right. it is the local elections, and normally. You know, towns and villages don't draw as many candidates as they have this time. Yeah. Normally, it's the school board races that always draw new people. And this year, the school board races don't have any contested races. Especially the last couple cycles. With right. Masking and COVID restrictions, a big hot ticket item. You can see now how, how many of those contested races might have been really just about masks. Yes. A couple of years ago, not so much about education. Proved it. Yes. Yeah. That was a, that was a theory for quite a while, but yes, that, so, that proved it. So the school boards are quiet. We do have one big referendum on a school related issue. We have the nearly $30 million referendum for Gibraltar school. Mm-hmm. Do you have a vibe for that? I, all right. So the way that I kind of measure these things is by letters that we receive you know, I always figure that if you get one letter on an issue, that means that maybe 50 people feel that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it really does require a lot to get a person to write. And yeah. so they have to feel pretty passionate about that. So I always consider even a small number of letters to be a barometer for a certain topic. And I have to say that there has not been, I have not heard any negative or no reasons for the Gibraltar referendum. Mm. Have you? I haven't seen it. Like you said, we haven't seen any letters. I haven't seen any emails come in. There hasn't yeah. been a lot of push from people like, hey, dig in more. Where, where's that going? Kind yes. of thing. And out in public, I haven't heard a lot either. And I, I think I said this on an earlier podcast, being someone who went to that school, I was pretty dubious about it because I fall into the old like, well, it was good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And then you do the the math and you go, well, that was 35 years ago <laughs> sure. was in that part of the building. So, but I, I've generally heard people who are, are for it. Yeah. I mean, people want to get behind creating the best environment, you know, for, for their district, even if they don't have kids in the school, you yeah. know, it is kind of, especially in a small town, I think that school spirit still exists. Mm-hmm. And I think people still identify with their schools, even like I said, even if you don't have children. So it's right. a it's a point of pride, I think. And because referendums have become so much more common, I think that people don't view it as as bad stewardship of the tax money that districts, yeah. you know, get. I know that like in Southern Door when they passed theirs for the training facility, I did hear, you know, a little bit about that. I was curious if that was actually gonna pass. Right. I don't have the same feeling here. Yeah, that Southern Door one, obviously, admittedly, on the part of Southern Door, very much about the athletics, more so than, it it was a a want more than a need. Yes, and he even, the superintendent uh, even said that while, you know, talking about it. And that one barely squeaked by, but in general, I think you're right. Um, People have become so much more educated about the school funding Mm. process than there were, say, 20 years ago. So maybe there's just more kind of understanding of like, all right, this is how we fund schools. Now we go to referendum. Whereas 20 years ago, it was, why are you going to referendum? Right. You had to explain that whole process. Exactly. And now, and you might've been like the only school in a two or four years period doing that. Now it's every cycle, every school is 
doing something like this. So, Like Washington Island. I mean, they're doing an operational referendum to exceed revenue limits. I mm-hmm. mean, that is almost a phrase that anybody on the street would understand yeah. what that means. Um, because it's almost every two years that every school district does go to the voters for an operational levy. And that just means that they need money to continue operations the way they are. If anybody doesn't know a lot about the Gibraltar referendum, would like to know more, we do have a podcast from a few weeks ago in which the school board president, Stephen Seifer, and the superintendent, Brett Stousland, joined us to to really talk through what is going into that referendum, why they feel it's needed, and what it would provide for students and staff. So since I did that podcast, I did get an occasion to finally go down and, and get an in-depth tour of Sevastopol's new building. And I can see it. If you're a parent of a Gibraltar kid or any other school, and then you go into Sevastopol's building, you can see a, a large difference now that Sevastopol with their massive upgrades that they did a couple of years ago. There's that school pride thing. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> you do not want Gibraltar to be yeah. lesser than Sevastopol. Yep, that is, that, there's definitely a rivalry <laughs> point there. Um, moving on to other topics, what are some of the races that intrigue you? And what are you going to be watching to say like, all right, this will this might change the direction of a, of a town or, or village or Right. Not much with the city this time. But. No, there is not. There's no one actually who can tested the incumbents. So the city is just status quo. There are several races. Which I got to say is kind of a relief from, like you always want people running. You want people yes. to challenge ideas. But the city had so much controversy, so much upheaval for several years there that it's kind of nice to see it stable. <laughs> yeah, it really does seem to to be somewhat stable. I mean, there are some hot spots that pop up yeah. every once in a while. But yeah, so nobody came out to contest those races. But uh, there are a number of other races there. I think there are eight different municipalities that have contested races. And four of those have include races for the top seat, which would be the village president in Sister Bay. And then there are three towns that have the town chair seat contested. So Bailey's Harbor, our Dave Elliott, is challenging the incumbent Don City. And then in Gibraltar, Bill Johnson, who is a supervisor on the Gibraltar town board is challenging the incumbent chair, Steve Soames Mm -hmm. and in Gardner, Carl Water Street, who is the incumbent chair is being challenged by Paul DeWitt. So there will be some change at the top of those town boards. And, you know, I was really interested in learning like the difference between why somebody runs for a supervisor or trustee seat versus the chair. And so we did ask that in our questionnaires just to get a measure of, you know, why go for that seat versus, you know, a supervisory seat or a trustee seat. And, you know, to a person, they really, you know, were talking about being able to lead in a way that, well, at least at the town level, at the village level, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but being able to, to lead in a certain direction. So we could be headed in different directions in those townships if that's the case. Sure. So it's on agenda setting, Yeah. Uh, which is probably more important in a town level than a village level. And more able to do that. Like at the village level, you know, the trustees are basically the ones who, you know, bring forth all of the ideas and vote on them and mm-hmm. you know and then in, but what the president or a chair does in any of those towns one of the things they do and this is something that probably matters to us more than the citizens is they run the meeting right <laughs> so they can decide how that meeting runs and how 
how much on tangents it goes, how much off track it goes, if you're depending on where you think that track is, and run an efficient meeting. Yeah, so. which is really interesting because that was one of the answers. Bill Johnson, who was challenging Steve Soames, that he wanted shorter meetings. And, hmm. you know, the town of Gibraltar, we used to call the town of Gibraltar like the longest meeting in Door County, remember? <laughs> yep. But really, that isn't the case anymore. Their meetings are very long, like the village of Egg Harbor lately, their board meetings, you know, I think it was four hours and 32 minutes yeah. last month. So Gibraltar isn't that long. Well, up um, and down the peninsula. I mean, like you said, village of Egg Harbor has now become very long meetings. Town of Gibraltar still super long meetings. Yeah. Uh, Ephraim has really long meetings and so does Sister Bay. And part of the reason why places will have a really long meeting, in my experience covering them, things that stand out to me is one, like, are you being efficient with, are you doing a good job gathering input early on so it doesn't drag on mm -hmm. and that people, you don't have like these big fights later? Or are you actually moving toward a decision or are you rehashing something week after week after week, in which case an item doesn't fall off the agenda but you always still have things added. So, sure. you know, like Ephraim, for example, they have, if I'm to use a term, belabor a topic for mm -hmm. a year in which an issue will be on the agenda every single week. And they just put off making a decision and then other things add on. And those, then you have this, it just drags. You yeah. Just have a, the list just grows. And one really big thing that I've noticed that elongates a meeting is there's not a lot of confidence in the committee work yeah. at the local level. Like, you know, I cover the county board as well, and, and there are lots of standing committees there. And when a decision comes to the full county board, then they're going to go with the committee vote largely unless there is, you know, something very contested in their district. So you do tend to move through a large number of agenda items fairly quickly. Hmm. Then at the local level, like at the village and town level, it's more like, well, yeah, the committee met and talked about this for four hours, <laughs> and now it's on the village or town agenda, and now the town supervisors or the village trustees are going to talk about it for another three and a half hours yeah. instead of allowing that work and you know trusting the committee work at the committee level and the recommendations that rise from that. They should be able to just give a summary, say this was the discussion, this is what we considered, and this is the recommendation that we came up with. You know, and then if you have confidence in the people who are making those decisions at the committee level, then you can just move on. Yeah. Yes, a lot of this matters to us maybe more than the general public, but because we're covering these meetings and we yeah. just we want it to move. But also for the general public and for those board members, one thing that's happened, like I've talked to several people who join a plan commission, who join a board and resign within a year or don't run for a second term. And part of that is the length of these meetings. So if these are long meetings, it's hard for people to stay on these boards and to participate, but it's also hard for the public then mm. to come to a meeting and look at an agenda and go, all right, I care about this thing that's item number 11. That could be 45 minutes from now, or it could be four, literally four hours right. from now, in which case it's very hard to participate. It's yes. hard to stick around. It's hard to so at all levels, not just us, because yeah. we're covering, I mean, really, as you point out, I mean, at all levels, you know, for public involvement and for attracting and retaining, you know, good supervisors and trustees. Mm -hmm. One other race we should touch on, Village of Sister Bay has six people running for three spots. Yes. If I have that right. Yes. Um, and 
potentially a, a much different board mm-hmm. in, well, almost certainly a much different board because all of these are new. And then, well, most of them are new. And then you have, it's almost guaranteed to be a majority female board. Which is really interesting. Bay. Sure. So that's, which I think has happened before in Sister Bay that definitely has happened in the city of Sturgeon Bay a couple of years ago when they, had, for a short period, had four women, three men. But, you know, it's a breath of fresh air. And I know a lot of people were excited to just see that many women running for that position in Sister Bay. When I think of 10, 15 years ago, I think I wrote a column like, where are the women in local government? Hmm. Like, where are they being a feel like they can run or running at all and then getting elected. I think at one point the county board had 20, 21 representatives, three of them were women, you know. When so, I covered it, there were only two women. And now it's now it's changed. Yep. And it, it's good to see that. And it's good to see people feel like they can participate right. and have a voice. In a diverse, you know, uh, like diversity, the backgrounds um, yeah. of the people who are running, that is always refreshing because mm-hmm. you're not just drawing from the same type of person, you yeah. know, and so they bring definitely a different perspective, a different way of looking at issues in a different priority list on, you know, what we should be working on. So. Yeah. And Sister Bay, you have, you have a couple of retirees, but you also have, I think four or five, you know, working prim- prime working age people running for those boards uh, for that board. So those are people who are running businesses and not just, you know, a lot of times you get people who are just trying to protect it and stop anything from changing because they bought their property, they've retired, they want to, they want it to halt right there. So oftentimes if you get somebody who's more of the working age, they're often have a different perspective on mm-hmm. all those topics. Right. The other race that has a lot of involvement is the town of Nassawapi. So Nassawapi went some from- Some big ads, some big signs. Oh, uh, they, they've, they've got a lot going on there because they went from a three-person board to a five-person board. So they had two seats that were just wide open, brand new- and that drew a lot of candidates and it shuffled, you know, some of the others as well. So there's lots of activity and action in Essawapi. Yeah, the, probably the largest local election sign I've ever seen is on the side of a barn down there for right. one of the candidates. Far beyond the yard sign look that you usually see. So, And I have seen just driving around the county. There are a lot of yard signs for different candidates. So it's hard for you <laughs> because yeah. you're trying to... to uh, Get all this stuff and, and keep track of all these races and get the information in the paper. Get these questionnaires out to everybody. Like you and I have talked about this before, but it's it's one of your favorite but also least favorite things about doing small town reporting because there's kind of one person for this all to come through. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to keep up on 19 municipalities, which, right. is, which is really difficult. Yeah, there was like 40 some candidates, but I have to say, you know, a big, big thank you to those candidates who participated because it can make it a lot more difficult when everybody is, you know, comes in at the, the last minute or <laughs> says I didn't get the email or sends incomplete information or doesn't send a photo. I mean, it was really a great spate of candidates. I mean, I, I probably only had, you know, 5% that required, you know, follow-ups and Excellent. additional information. So that was good. You know, we we overlooked one other chair race, Town of Liberty Grove. There oh is my a gosh, race between right. John Lowry, who has been the chair there for many years, and Janet Johnson, who has been a supervisor for a couple of terms and is now running for chair. Lowry, prior to this, he, he's a very experienced uh, board member. He was prior the president of the village of Ephraim. Hmm. So he's been in local politics for a long time, and he's getting challenged 
kind of rare challenge up in Liberty Grove. Yeah. I, I mean, Janet is already on the board up there. And she indicated that she wanted to run because she always wanted to run for chair. And she believes in term limits. Hmm. So she doesn't believe in running again and again and again. And so she decided if I don't do it now, I'm, I'm not going to ever do it. But hmm. in that particular race, her seat is not up for reelection. So if she is not elected chair, she's still going to be on the board. Mm, but um, but thanks for calling that out. I completely, yeah, I left that one out of the chairs. I almost forgot as well. Yeah. And I live in Liberty Grove. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, is anything else to talk election? Just related? one thing that I wanted to talk about. I've been indicating when early voting is starting. And one of the town clerks pointed out to me that early voting really is not the proper term. And so I had a conversation mm. with Jill Lau about this, the Dora County clerk. And the official term for early voting, which is what we all call it, and Jill even said everybody calls it that, is in-person absentee voting. And the reason why that is such a sticking point for clerks is that early voting suggests that you're putting your ballot into the machine like that you are early voting, but you're not actually early voting. You're just in-person absentee. So your ballot is going to be counted with the other absentee ballots. Right, which is... Which is a big deal in which Wisconsin. Is, which is a big deal. However, they should come up with a different, different word for it I because it's, a, it's an oxymoron, right? Right, absentee ballot. absentee. There was our yes. diametrically opposed phrases. Which so, why I was resisting that. So for uh, local clerks, come up with a different <laughs> name for it. <laughs> it's confusing. Or if it's because I hear that and I'm like, what does what does that mean? Those aren't this, those are different. Right. So. But you know that that's a sticking point. I mean, when we actually count those absentee ballots and. You know, that's a huge deal in Wisconsin. Yeah. So. so so instead of one thing that's marginally confusing and, and more <laughs> accessible to most voters, we can use a term that will confuse them all. <laughs> Excellent. Right. We want to make it access, as accessible as possible. <laughs> yeah. All right, Deb, thanks for doing this quick rundown of all this. Good luck next Tuesday night as we try to put this all together and, and turn it around for people. If uh, we generally try to get these results out, if not Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, this is going to be a lot of different results to wade through, but means a lot for our local communities. A lot of towns could be markedly different. Mm -hmm. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. Up next on the podcast, we have a conversation with a couple of the folks at Door County Medical Center. If anybody has driven into Sister Bay over the last 12 months, you've seen the new Sister Bay Clinic rising from the ground. It's a beautiful new facility. It is unmistakable because of its uh, unique roof pattern. And I spent some time earlier this week, got a chance to go up and tour the new facility. It's a, a beautiful new building, really a huge step forward for healthcare in Northern Door County. 
And what's next is a short conversation with Lindsay Donahue and Andy Anderson about what this new center will do for patients, for staff, and for the community in Northern Door County. And uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation, get a little taste of what's coming. Hopefully, you don't have a reason to go in there and experience the center for a long time. But if you do, I think you're going to see something that's a, a pretty amazing new addition to the Sister Bay community. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Andy, one of the things I want you to tell our listeners is like, this move into the new center, and really for you, it's across the street. But what will this do for, first of all, what will it do for patients? What are they going to experience when they come here? Well, for our patients, first of all, we're going to have more space to be able to really treat safely in today's healthcare environment when it comes with COVID and other things along those lines. We have the space to be able to spread out and be able to have a little more privacy, be able to just be apart. We have a number of new pieces of equipment in rehab that are going to allow us to get people better, hopefully quicker than we have been able to before. We also just have that privacy. When we need to have that privacy, we have spaces to be able to go. And then what about staff? Because, you know, you think about this with a, with a school remodel and, or something like this. You think patients. With school remodel, you think the students, how they're going to experience it. But it's also, it's a new experience for the staff that you have. What will this do for them? Yeah, our, our staff have said a number of times. We have a, a very experienced staff, and they've said a number of times that this may add to the longevity of their careers, quite honestly, <laughs> having the new space here. They've got room that they can treat. They have places that they can go when we need to have that place to go document, to be able to make those phone calls. They actually have a space that they're not sitting one foot away from another therapist while they're sitting there a little bit. They have more treatment options when it comes to the equipment that we just, uh, quite honestly, couldn't fit into the old place that we had across the street. We're still going to continue to do all the great things that we've done with physical, occupational therapy, uh, massage therapy, speech therapy, the outreach things we do. We're going to be able to add some new providers up here, too, with our athletic training, uh, with some of our cash-based programming that we have. We're going to add some new programming with our falls initiatives, that we have that's a big big metric that we're trying to uh, cut down on right now within mm-hmm. our community. Well, in a community that's as old on average as Northern Door County is, like falls prevention is a, is a major way to reduce health costs and, and pain for people. Yep, the hospital in general has really been working closely with emergency services at the county, the uh, ADRC, on uh, some of our other partners with YMCA and some of the other things that we're really trying to see what we can do to help individuals that are at risk, make sure that they're getting connected with the right resources that can help them hopefully avoid major injury and ha- allow them to be able to stay in their house, you know, homes longer. Sure. And then, which is, I think, anybody's primary objective. And, mm-hmm. Well, I should say anybody. There are some who would rather be out of their house. But, you know, speaking of the rehab space, and as somebody who has, over the last couple of years, had to spend some time in your rehab space working on my back, and your old space was, was fine, but then seeing that new space with the, the huge bank of windows and the tall ceilings and the just so much more room to operate, like, what is that going to mean for your patients? I mean, I just walk in there, I'm like, well, I just feel like, like I can spread out. Well, one of the things you'll see at the clinic is just the amount of light that we have, the natural light, the healing light that we have coming in. It just, it changes the mentality a little bit just of, we're not coming into, not to say that the old space was 
a dungeon, but it was smaller. It was much less windows. It was a lot of equipment just piled on, a lot of other equipment as we're there. And so once you started adding in the therapists, the patients, the wheelchairs, the walkers, the caregivers that are along with, it ended up being very crowded. And it felt cramped for a lot of people. And they just either didn't feel comfortable or safe or just, you know, where they wanted to be. With this extra space and just how the with the design of the clinic with the colors and the openness that we have it's just going to lead to just a more healing environment Hmm. for our patients and i think that that's going to carry through when you add the great skill that our therapists have and the new equipment that we are able to provide as well and then for those of you in in the rehab side of things you of course get the the great view on the second story (laughs) absolutely it is a very good view we have windows pretty much you know 270 degrees you know, all the way around the building, kind of taking a look. And looking out is great view. Sister Bay is a great view to look at across mm-hmm. there. And we still were able to see our patients when they were coming in from the parking lot. We're able to see them as they're going uh, down the highway. We have the large patio out by our, our registration area. So even while patients are waiting to come in for therapy, they're still receiving that healing light and being able to just be in that comfortable space. Lindsay, Maybe you can explain, or, or I'm not sure who's the best to explain, but that patio space that you have on the second deck, that's probably the most recognizable architectural feature, second to the roof, I guess. <laughs> how do we envision, or how do you envision that space being used? I envision it being used for our patients when they're waiting for rehab or even to see one of our providers in the clinic. Also for staff to use maybe during their lunch hour, and then also for the community to use we're hoping that, like Andy had said before, that you can lock the space, our clinic and rehab spaces. So we're hoping that the community can use it for education or different kinds of events or meetings. Yeah, we hope to even be treating patients out there, quite honestly. Sometimes mm-hmm. being able to take some of our rehab patients out there and be able to be in the community, once again, that community ambulation, being able to go through different doors, being able to be outside and just have the wind, the sun coming yeah. down on you a little bit. We have some of our specialty programming that we may bring out there to be determined yet. But we are (laughs) talking about some special rehab-specific items out there as well. Bungee jumping, rock climbing. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Hitting some golf balls out there. So we'll we'll see what it looks like. Free climbing to the Yeah. I I, I think the sky is really the limit. It's a beautiful space. It's very large, so it allows us to be able to do multiple things out there. And it will be accessible for anyone waiting for... You know, a loved one going through either in a clinic or down a rehab, they could spend their time out there, bring a book, and they can sit out there and wait. You know, while that, if um, once the pharmacy is up and running, they could be out there, you know, while they're waiting for that to be prepared. You know, it's a great place to be able to spend, and our staff are really looking forward to some summer lunches out there, quite honestly. (laughs) So. Yes. And then I know, you know, having a nursing background, I'd love to have our nurses provide some education out there. Our environment and that, like, we have discussed sunlight and just being outside is so important for our health. So being able to maybe provide some wellness courses or different education opportunities out there. Lindsay, you are coming from the Fish Street Clinic, which I think is, I'm not sure about the usage rate, but my assumption is that more people have a touch point with that and are familiar with that who are going to be transitioning here. What are the patients who are used to that Fish Creek Clinic, what are they going to notice when they come in for like physician services and things like that? Well, first the space, there's a lot of space. Um, So definitely more exam rooms, more providers and more specialties coming into this clinic. 
because of the space and because of, you know, the word out in the community that we've built this beautiful space, we've had a lot of interest from providers like cardiology, audiology. We've increased our behavioral health services. So more space, more services. And then again, we're hoping to have to recruit more physicians on board. So hopefully more appointments. So you're feeling even more demand going forward. So you're talking about recruiting at least one more physician. Yes. Obviously, in the midst of this project, Aurora announced that they were closing their clinic last year, which puts a little added <laughs> pressure on the, on the move. Yep. Um, how is it going? How is the adjustment going for your, for your staff? Oh, our staff, they're rock stars. So, you know, when you raise the bar, they just say how high. Our physicians are willing to, you know, continue to see as many patients as they can. The staff is on board. We try, you know, we try to see as many people as we can every day. So, Moving into the space, we're so excited. I started at Door County Medical Center about eight years ago, and I would say probably two years in, we started talking about needing to expand. Mm. So this has been a dream of ours for a long time, and we're really excited to see it come to fruition. So, yeah, like you told me when I walked in here today that you probably needed this three years ago. Yes. So there's a bit yes. of a backlog. Yeah, we have had providers using offices in our break room. Just recently, because of all the snow we there was one day when I pulled into our parking lot and it was completely full. So we are so excited to just have more space to expand and grow. And we anticipate huge growth in the next few years. Are there any advantages that come with having your rehab services and your clinic in the same building? Now? Yes, the collaboration will be awesome. You know, just currently we use an electronic medical record to communicate, but to be able to, you know, walk up or down the stairs to communicate in person um, and for our physicians to be able to maybe walk up and see a patient or vice versa will be huge. Yeah, but I, re I really think just being in the same building, it becomes rehab is going to be much more paramount in or forefront at least in the provider's minds. Mm -hmm. And when they look at that patient, they're trying to clinically decide, you know, what is something that this patient might need that light bulb's going to go right above them, and literally that's where we are, right <laughs> You know, right upstairs. And so I, I really, truly feel we're expecting to have a 30 to 50% growth in our services over the next five years is really what we're looking at. Wow. For the rehab side, I would assume the clinic is probably in the same amount. What drives that? Is that just aging population? Is it recruitment of new patients? increased population in general? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and quite honestly, it really kind of goes along there. We've seen a large, similar to the clinic story, we came up to Sister Bay, uh, or we started in Fish Creek, our northern door rehab services. We had one therapist that was up a couple days a week in the Fish Creek Clinic working in a hallway is where we started. After a year or two, they, we took over um, the Scandia nursing home long-term care, and we had a small space in there. That grew, we continued to bring on more staff. The demand just kept growing. So about six years ago, we moved into our last space that we have. Within a year, we all grew that. So it's been about, you know, four or five years for us where, again, you know, we just, it got more and more. Now, I think that is ultimately, there's only so many individuals that live in Door County, right? You know, we see, but a lot of people, even though they may go to different providers, whether it's downstairs uh, here in this new clinic or if they're going to any of the Brown County providers for rehab, they want to do that close to home. So they, they still come back here. So still about 40% of our patients that come into rehab are, are from outside providers. So that being said, our Dr. Rebhan and uh, Dr. Johnson are our two 
biggest referring providers that we have. And I think yeah. that already being so strong in what they do provide, that's going to continue to just astronomically just grow. I know Dr. Johnson has been with, uh, he's been our sports medicine kind of go-to for a long time for our rehab department. So we've had a very strong connection. And Dr. Rebhan is great. What we've done, uh, worked with Holly and uh, Courtney have been, they're falling right in line with those patterns as well. So Mm. I think it's really going to be a great partnership. And just, once again, being in that same building, it changes your decision-making because it's right there. You know, we're not the nine miles away or whatever we are from Fitch Creek right now. Right, you know that that closeness just allows that process to flow much more smoothly. And speaking of growth, I think another reason why we we continue to increase in growth is because you walk into our clinic or into rehab, and it's a, this small hometown feel, and you're greeted like your family. And I see that a lot on our survey comments. My family, my brother just moved back here, and his wife just said that too. You know, I feel like when I walk in, it's just like being greeted by a whole group of people that could be friends or family and I think that's a special thing about a small town and I think that Door County Medical Center has captured that in our healthcare. Um, you know, kind of speaking of that that culture that feel that you're talking about in terms of part of that culture is keeping your staff getting staff what is this transition not like the Fish Creek Center was probably not a bad place to work by any means but like what does this new facility do in terms of you know, if you're trying to recruit someone up here, I'd imagine it's got to be more attractive to come in and say, hey, you're going to come into this gleaming new facility. Well, we've used the uh, marketing slogan recently of work where you vacation, mm-hmm. right? And when we have individuals walk into our old places, it, it's like, well, you know, they might, you know, have second thoughts. Before our last move down in Sturgeon Bay, we had individuals that came into our old rehab facility down in Sturgeon Bay and walked out before the interview was done just looking at the space there and once we moved into the larger newer space which is similar to what we have here in sister bay it automatically changed what we had Mm. people were willing to work here they wanted to be here so we're going to be bringing in hopefully more continuing education classes for our staff up here inviting individuals from outside our area to show them what we have because i think once you walk in all of a sudden you're like okay i want to stay it's a huge Mm. selling point when it comes to recruiting for retention absolutely we have very good retention numbers i think the clinic and rehab were very they've been here a long time Mm -hmm. our staff and the staff that i haven't been here very long are here for the long haul they're really here Uh, the culture of the hospital is now being met by the facilities which just brings it all together so Mm -hmm. it makes it a great place to work we're well supported by our higher ups Uh, we really make sure that we are meeting the needs it's a patient first mentality as leaders, we try to make be employee first to make sure that our employees have what they need, but our all of our clinical staff and everyone that's working with patients, it's patient first to make sure that they have that. So it, it really works in tandem with each other. Excellent. Well, Andy, Lindsay, thanks for taking some time to talk to us about the, the new facility. And what else do people need to know? So right now you have the, the rehab services are already here. So when are people going to be able to come and check this place out, whether as a patient or any sort of opportunities to tour or anything like that? Sure, so clinic is then opening on April 3rd in the afternoon and then we'll have an open house for the community on June 11th. All right, so we can look forward to that. Until then, you have to sprain your ankle to come in and check out the facility. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks so much. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.